Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we begin, I've got some big news. I have just written my first book, Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts and Free Yourself from Anxiety. The book will teach you my easy flex method for more flexible thoughts that will help change your thinking to transform your life. You'll read about my own journey from stress, low self-esteem and negativity and how I was able to turn it around by learning how my mind worked from world leading experts like my podcast guests and understanding what would help my mind work better for me. If you've enjoyed my show, please pre-order the book in the link in the show notes. I can't wait for you to read it and start practicing a flexible mindset. People who had no connection to New York, had no personal loss from 9-11, but repeatedly looked at images of the Twin Towers falling, got post-traumatic stress disorder. So that's how powerful imagery and negativity are on your brain. And so, you know, let's get real about what we expose our brains to. If you're not curating your social media feeds to make you feel positive, abundant, grateful, you're actually literally damaging your brain. So it's really important to curate everything that your brain gets exposed to, to be as positive as possible. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. And this show is about upgrading our mind, our energy and our understanding of how we can live life to our fullest potential. Over the next few weeks, I'm interviewing thought leaders, scientists, nutritionists and experts to share tips and tricks for how we can shed the old and step into the new. I hope you join me on the journey. So you might have heard of the term manifesting, and to be honest, it's becoming a little cliche. So many people wave this word around, and it's easy to start thinking, well, how come I'm not manifesting, or start panicking you're not a good manifester, or even get confused about what manifesting actually is. Well, this episode clears it all up with a guest who is the real deal. No magic, just science. And this week has to be one of my favorites so far, because I got the chance to speak to one of the world's experts in manifesting to clear up the myths. And this isn't about crystals and woo-woo waving flower power hippies. This is about research-backed tools and valuable insight into how you can train your brain to create more of the things you want in your life. I'm interviewing Tara Swart about the science behind manifesting and achieving your dreams. I've been so excited to interview such a world-leading force since I read her book, The Source, which is truly brilliant. Tara is a neuroscientist, medical doctor, executive advisor, senior lecturer, and her book has been translated into 36 global territories. Tara works with leaders worldwide to help them achieve mental resilience and peak brain performance. I'm really looking forward to you hearing this interview, and I hope it helps and guides you as much as it has me. Let's crack in. What is your favorite quote at the moment? 
Well, there's one that's really resonating with me at the moment, and I've sent it to various people for, for different reasons. It's All of it is quite long, but the first part is, is the main bit, which is, it's a Marianne Williamson quote. It's, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Oh God, that's so good. I knew, you, I knew you'd love it. <laughs> why did you choose that quote and why is that important for you? I think that we would all recognise that we've perhaps shrunk or played small in our lives for various reasons, whether it's because you're going through a personal crisis or whether it's because you work in a male-dominated industry or society or your family expectations have made you feel like that. And I think it's a real transformative journey for people, almost like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And my work is all about transformation, you know, my coaching, my speaking, my writing. And so... That image of the butterfly is something that's helped me through the years. And now coming across this quote, I remember the first time I saw it, it was etched into a massive crystal in this crystal park in Australia. And it really hit me then. And it's just, it's just come up again. And, you know, I live and die by my intuition, backed by science. And so when I see something and it keeps cropping up, I kind of believe that there's a reason that this is important at the moment. So even getting to say it to you, I hope it has like a, you know, a really positive effect on you. And of course, like all your listeners hearing it as well. It's just something that I feel is what people need at the moment, given, you know, especially everything that's going on as well. Well, thank you for sharing it. It's certainly given me a boost today. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? During lockdown, what I remembered was that when I got divorced, so that was like the lowest point of my life, one thing I learned about myself is that I'm extremely determined. It was something I hadn't been conscious of, but it really came to the fore. And being in a stressful situation again, that's really come up. But I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I remember that happened the last time I felt really stressed. And so I've really used that to empower myself to meet all the challenges that have come up. You know, everything from light bulbs going to, you know, bigger things than that. I sort of thought, I can do it. I can fix this. Um the other thing, the other side of the coin is that when I'm stressed, I have a really high need for control, including like lining things up and stuff. And I've seen that happen a bit. But again, I was like, OK, that's what I do when I'm stressed. And, you know, if, if all the books and clothes have to be folded and, you know, piled up a certain way, then that's OK for now. Yeah, God, I love that. Just giving yourself permission to have coping strategies that they are what they are. They're just kind of helping you cope. And how do you define happiness? So I really strongly believe from the neuroplasticity point of view, and neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to grow and change throughout life, that happiness isn't something that some people have and some people don't or that you're born with or not. It's something that you cultivate through practices like gratitude and journaling and, you know, maintaining good, positive, meaningful social relationships. So, you know, it's a state of being that can fluctuate but it means that you stay within the range of kind of positive thinking and abundance more of the time. Yes. And we are going to dive into this because your book, The Source, is the best book I've ever read on manifesting and optimizing the brain. Um, so first of all, let's just go back to basics. What does manifestation even mean? And why were you interested in using your neuroscience and clinical background to explore it? So manifestation means creating in the real world the things that you desire, but by using your brain power to do that. So not expecting it to sort of magically land in your lap, but actually using the power of your thinking to create the real world outcomes that you want. And so the reason that I was interested in writing it from my background is that there are lots of really good books out there on manifestation, but they tend to be based on quantum science, which is about vibrations. And that's fine, but I always thought if it's to do with your brain power, shouldn't it be written by a neuroscientist or a psychologist? And 
So I wanted to write the version of those books, which I loved, based on rigorous science with em empirical data. So, you know, from scanning technology and blood testing of hormones and things like that. And I wanted it to be secular because often these books have a strong religious slant and I really wanted it to be for everyone. And then the more personal reason is that I really felt that everyone has a brain. So neuroscience should be for everyone. Everyone should understand how they can optimize their brain physically. And then if your brain is in optimal condition, how you really can use its power to make your life better, to be happier, healthier, have better relationships, get to the pinnacle of the career that you want or have the family that you want. And, um, you know, since I've written the book, obviously I believed in it when I did the research, I could see that the science really backed up the laws of attraction and things like visualization. And I got, you know, I sort of got my friends into this mode of thinking and there were some pregnancies and engagements and freelance careers and things like that. But now I get like thousands of DMs from people I don't know saying what they've manifested. And the biggest thing that stands out, which really makes me happy, is that people say it was the science that made me actually do this, whereas I've read about it before, but I wouldn't have actually actioned it. Obviously, you've you had a long career in like neuroscience and, and also being a psychiatrist. What were the most fascinating revelations you actually found out writing this book, looking at the research? You know, some of the things that uh, stood out for me when reading this was the visualizing, like visualizing playing the piano actually helped your brain learn the piano without actually having to play the piano, for example, or the marathon runner that set a new time. I would love to hear some of the things that really stood out for you that were like golden moments when you thought, oh God, I can't believe science really does back up stuff that was previously, as you write, in the more Eastern philosophy world. Mm -hmm. So many things like that. And, you know, you've, you've picked on an area that's one of my favourites. So I think all the brain scanning and meditation and how it actually physically changes the structure of your brain, how it reduces levels of the stress hormone cortisol. So, you know, women who do yoga three times a week have generally lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol than age matched women who don't, you know, really practical stuff um, relating to meditational yoga, but completely backed up by sophisticated scanning technologies. I think some of my favorite ones are the ones where weightlifters were split into two groups and either actually lifted finger finger or elbow weights for a week or two. And then some, one group only thought about lifting finger or elbow weights. And of course, the group that lifted them actually grew bigger muscles than the group that just thought about it. But there was actually a percentage increase in muscle mass in the people who just thought about it. So that's pretty incredible. And it takes me on to my absolute favorite piece of research, which is about aging. And, you know, I've used this personally in my life to try to do what I call resilient aging. And so th this experiment was done in people who were in their late 70s and 80s. They were split into three groups, a control group that lived like normal, a group that reminisced about being 20 years younger for a week, and a group that actually went and lived in retrofitted homes that looked like their home did 20 years ago. They had to have photos of themselves from when they were younger in the house and look at that every day. They had to talk about the news or like, you know, who was prime minister 20 years ago as if it was current affairs. And they had their visual aids and walking aids taken away from them for a week. After just one week, that group were taller, fitter, stronger, had better vision. And when people who didn't know them saw before and after photos, they rated the after photos as looking younger than the, than the before photo. <laughs> Um, and even the reminiscing group had some benefits, but not as much as actually living like that. So, I mean, you know, that's mind over matter. And that's really what manifestation is all about. So if you see a physical thing like that, like if I hang out with people who are younger or older, then you get the benefits of youthfulness or wisdom. If I live in a way that defies my biological age, it can actually change nerves and hormones and muscles in your body. I mean, I'm sitting up straight as just saying it to you. Then you start to think, okay, well, if I can think in a certain way and it has a physical effect on my body, then what could I do around mental, emotional and spiritual things if I think in a certain way? And you mentioned the runner. The runner was a sprinter who he was the first person that ran um, a mile in less than four minutes. And we thought it was humanly impossible. But as soon as he did it, seven other athletes did it in the next few months. So believing that something's possible changes your physical 
um, you know, potential as well. So all of that is just so huge. And if you think about applying that to each person's life and, you know, there's this phrase that gets thrown around now, living your best life, but you can use your brain to actually live your best life. There's, oh, I can't wait to unpack all of this because there's so many practical points that you touch upon. So before we dive into, because I'm fascinated by um, what you write about um, in terms of the company you keep and how that is so impactful in you creating what you want to create in the future or, or, or maybe you know, inhibiting what you're going to create in the future. But first of all, the law of attraction has often had quite a controversial or quite a lot of like woo-woo, eye-roll kind of reaction to it. But actually, what does the law of attraction mean and what is the science to the law of attraction? Yeah, so from the scientific point of view, it basically means that the way that you think attracts certain people, situations, relationships, interactions into your life. So, you know, the classic example is in dating. If you settle for less than what you deserve, if you tolerate bad behavior, then your view of the world becomes, I can't trust people. And you go into a new scenario, believing that you can't trust people. And then that has a knock on effect because it actually um, you know, creates bad situations. If you have really high self-worth and you, you know, have a very strong image of what you want and don't want in a relationship and you never tolerate it when it doesn't, you know, work to your standards, then your belief in things in a certain way grows and then that just becomes natural for you and you expect it and, you know, you wouldn't even think twice about not tolerating certain behaviours. Um, and it just sort of, up levels what you expect and then what you get and then your confidence grows and it and it's a complete you know self-fulfilling virtuous circle so in order for us to be able to activate the law of attraction in a way that actually benefits our life and it actually takes us away from any law of attraction to negative belief systems then attracting negative scenarios positive thinking is obviously key in up leveling our ability to use uh, law of attraction to our advantage so I'd love to dive into the science. What happens in the brain when we practice positive thinking? And um, what does it even mean to think positively? Because again, I think there's probably quite a lot of confusion around this. Yeah, so let's start by talking about how the brain is actually wired. Um, its default position is not to think what I call abundantly or positively. So when we lived in the cave and there were physical threats to our survival, the reason that we thrived so much as a species is that the brain is wired to what is called loss aversion. So that's avoidance of something bad, losing something or something bad happening. So the psychological effect on the brain of something bad happening is 2.5 times as strong as some, the equivalent good thing happening. And the classic example of this from behavioral um, e economics is if you, you know, walked out to your car now, and when you arrived at your destination, you realized that you'd dropped 20 pounds out of your pocket, um, you might want to go back and see if it was still there. You'd think about it. You'd beat yourself up about it for quite a long time. But if when you walked to your car, you saw 20 quid lying on the pavement and you picked it up, you might keep it. You might give it to charity. But very quickly, you'd have forgotten about that little reward. So we tend to focus on the negatives more than the positives. And that's been a survival mechanism that's really helped us up until now. But in the modern world where there are less physical threats to our safety and they're more psychological or social threats to our safety, that kind of thinking doesn't really help you. It stops you from taking healthy risks. Um, it holds you back from, um, you know, reaching your potential kind of related to that quote that we were talking about earlier. So you have to cultivate trust, abundant thinking, healthy risk-taking, gratitude, all of those things that make you think, why shouldn't I go for that job? Why shouldn't I expect to meet somebody who's going to treat me in the way that I really want to be? Why do I think it's too late for me to have a baby? Why do I think it's too late for me to start my own business? You know, it's so easy to say, oh, it's too late. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. But this kind of thinking is to just challenge yourself and overturn that and say, well, actually, could I make the time? Could I um, do it on a lower budget or, or that sort of thing? So it's really about seeing possibility where your brain will try to protect you by first saying, no, 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 don't do that. Because I mean, the brain 
the way it protects you is in, it's insane. So there's a part, parts of the brain called the amygdala and the hippocampus that connect up memory and emotion. So when you go to take a risk that your brain perceives, you know, could be a threat to your survival, it actually dredges up all the negative memories. Like the last time you went through a breakup that, you know, the t- last time you asked for a raise and then, you, you know, you got sacked or whatever. Um, and it sort of tries to warn you that you shouldn't take a risk because something like that will happen. So it's actually really hard work to convince your brain that you should take these risks and trust that the outcome could be way better than if you didn't. It's absolutely fascinating. And in the book, you go through tips and tools to be able to kind of enhance our ability to manifest and think positively. I would love to go through a couple of them. First of all, you created a four-step process. Would you mind explaining a bit about that? Yeah, so it's based on the... um, the science that underlies sustainable behavior change. Because what we're trying to do really is not force ourselves to think differently than we naturally want to all the time. We want to change our brains so that actually thinking abundantly and you know grasping opportunities becomes natural for us. So the four-step process is raised awareness. So you have to make it very conscious what it is that's holding you back or what you really want. And so often these things, there's a, you know, there's a, a line where things are very conscious in our thoughts. And then below that, there are subconscious beliefs that are driving a lot of our behavior. And we may or may not be aware of them and they, you know, they stem from childhood. So really being aware of what it is that you need to change. Then the next step is focused attention. And that is looking for opportunities to try out this new behavior or to get the thing that you want. The third step is deliberate practice, which is, you know, thinking positively or, dating in a really confident way and the last part is accountability so that's either yourself or a friend or a therapist or you know there are great apps that can hold you accountable to things that you've promised that you'll do Um, so that's the underlying process and so what I did with that is I put so the last four chapters are completely practical they're all like meditations visualizations exercises that you can do to revolutionize your thinking and you know the one main thing that I love and have been doing for about 12 years, but has really, I've just seen the power of it since the book's come out, is making what I call an action board. So to be very goal focused and create this collage or create it digitally with images, either direct or metaphorical of the things that you want in your life. And, you know, if you want space in your life, don't fill the board. If you want to be like very busy and active, then fill it. And even thinking about what's in the center, what's at the top, what's on the left, you know, are important in terms of how much you're saying you you really want those things and prioritize those things. The action part is that you should look at it frequently and visualize it coming true because, you know, we've already discussed the power of visualization. So it's not just make it once and then leave it in the corner, but also that you need to do something, no matter how small, but something practical to move you towards achieving those goals on a very regular, you know, almost daily basis. So it's absolutely not about creating a fantasy and sitting at home waiting for it to come true. It's about using all of your brain power. And we'll go through, I assume, the the six ways of thinking to really, you know, integrate that brain power to be the fullest that it possibly can. And then do things, ask for things, talk to people, put yourself out there and make these things come true because you really can. And, you know, I, I've seen it in my personal life. I've seen it with my friends. And like I said, now I've just got so many stories and photos and, um, you know, messages from people about what they've done. So I want to step back slightly. What is abundant thinking and what is lack thinking? Because where we're going to go in this interview is really talking about how we can enhance our ability to be abundant thinkers. Like most of the time, Mm -hmm. obviously we're human, we go in Mm -hmm. and out, but I would just love your kind of definition of lack thinking and abundant. And so for us to really see where we are and like where we are naturally right now Mm -hmm. on that kind of like scale. So lack thinking completely relates to that loss aversion that I talked about before. It's this won't happen for me. Um, it's not worth me trying because it's going to be too difficult or it's not going to work out or things like that don't happen to someone like me. It just or It's basically negative thinking. It's believing that there isn't enough out there for everyone to be happy and successful. 
um, and therefore not making the effort. So can I just say, when I was reading this, this is so relevant for right now, because when we are in this kind of with the pandemic, you know, watching the news, even news cycles are triggering this lack thinking as if like there isn't going to be enough around. So it's even more vital for us to all be thinking about this work that you're putting forward. And I mean, it's so understandable that that people would be. But of course, it's important to be informed about world events. But there's a way of knowing what's going on without repeatedly uh, impressing upon your brain that the world is a bad place, a dangerous place, that, you know, there aren't enough resources out there for people. So let me put a bit of science before that, before that behind that, because I know you love the science. So people who had no connection to New York, had no personal loss from 9-11, but repeatedly looked at images of the Twin Towers falling, got post-traumatic stress disorder. So that's how powerful imagery and negativity are on your brain. And so, you know, let's, let's get real about what we expose our brains to. If you're not curating your social media feeds to make you feel positive, abundant, grateful, you're actually literally damaging your brain. If you're, you know, if you're seeing things that you want that you can't have, if you're seeing things that make you feel envy, if you see things that make you feel depressed about your life, you're just gonna spiral into lack. So it's really important to curate everything that your brain gets exposed to, to be as positive as possible. Um, And that's what abundance is. So abundance is overwriting negative thinking with positive thinking. And that's actually a very old Buddhist philosophy, but it's absolutely backed up by the neuroscience, which is the pathway that your brain signals go down the most becomes the strongest, thickest pathway. And then that's how you think and who you are. So I always say to people, when you have a recurring negative thought, distill down what is the belief that underlies that, that's driving that thinking. Is it, you know, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve this, or there are people out there who are more talented than me. And then create your own mantra that's the opposite of that belief. And every time you have a negative thought like that, say the mantra, I'm worth it, I'm the best, I can do this, you know, whatever it is for you, make it really personal. Um, And then there's all sorts of other things around abundance, like journaling, gratitude lists, meditation, the people that you surround yourself with, you know, there can be friends and family who absolutely love and support you but might sometimes say well that's not for you be careful around hanging around people who might be just seeping in that negativity that will you know be taken into your subconscious beliefs um yeah I mean when you think about it you have to do so much to keep your brain like in the positive mode but once you start this work it's like a patchwork quilt if you do a bit of journaling a bit of meditation you know a bit of exercise you eat healthily, hang out with really positive people that support you, you make an action board, it becomes much bigger than those little things that you've done. It really accumulates. A hundred percent. And I was actually going to go through kind of almost troubleshoot threats to uh, abundant thinking. And um, and you mentioned um, some of them just then. I'd love to dive into them in a bit more detail. So what do you mean by contagion? Social and relational contagion is the fact that the emotions of the people that you're surrounded by, they actually have like a catching effect. So they they affect you. So the research shows that, for example, if you have a friend or friends who are overweight, you're more likely to be overweight because that becomes socially acceptable. If you have a friend that gets divorced, then you're also more likely to get divorced. Now that sounds like a really bad thing, but what it actually means is that often people are tolerating relationships that they don't really want to be in, but because no one you know is divorced, you kind of put up with it. And then once you see somebody breaking free from something like that, it makes it more acceptable for you to maybe do it. So those are the two um, areas that I know about that are really um, backed by science research. But also if you think about it, it's always that person, if you think back through your career, where even just walking into a room with that person in it would just physically drain you and just make you feel tired and like, you know, make your posture stoop. And, and that's because of the contagion of the stress hormone cortisol. So you know how if you live with or work closely together with another woman, that your menstrual cycles become the same? Cortisol is similar because those steroid hormones, they all leak out in our sweat about this, this much, like two inches around our body. So if you're per- permanently walking past someone or in a room with them, 
then their stress levels, the cortisol particles actually go in through your skin and artificially raise yours. That's why you feel negative after being with a person who's really stressy. That is mind blowing. It just, it, oh, wow. I mean, how much more conscious can we all be after learning that? So lack of sleep, how does that affect our ability to manifest and think abundantly? Manifestation is a higher order thinking. You know, it's not just a survival strategy. We we do what we need to do to like pay the bills, put food on the table. And then if we've got spare resources, we might think about being more abundant and, and trying to manifest something. And so to create the conditions for the brain to be primed to do all of this, we need to sleep adequate length and quality. We need to eat nutrition dense food. We need to drink enough water. We need to exercise and breathe deeply and we need to bring a, an element of simplicity into our into our lives but also balanced by enough novelty that your brain's getting stimulated but of those if you ask me which is the most important one I would say sleep so 98 to 99 percent of human brains need to sleep for seven to nine hours per night there was Nobel Science Prize winning research that showed a very active cleansing process of the brain that takes seven or eight hours. And that's why you need to be in bed for seven to nine. And this process flushes out toxins that build up and eventually cause the pathology of diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. But even on a daily basis, if you've disrupted your sleep, you can have problems with your memory, your focus, your concentration, you know, actively reduces your working IQ. So IQ isn't a fixed number how much you can use your IQ. And, and I don't even like IQ as the only measure. You know, I like to think, how much can I use my creativity? How much can I use my intuition? All of that is like turning the dial down on a flame if you haven't slept properly. So, you know, you're still, you can still do the day job, but you can't do the higher order thinking. So sleep is absolutely crucial to that. And I just want to call out one thing, which I thought thought was fascinating on your dehydration. Uh, and you write about a study that students uh, who drank a pint of water before an activity uh, increased their reaction times by like 14 times or something like that. I mean, it was just reading this like that is insane. Just drinking some more water is going to improve your performance. For some people, if they just drank as much water as they need to in a day, they, you know, you, you look better and you feel better and your brain works faster. I mean, the thing about, you know, what you've said so beautifully is that we would never drive our car without filling it up with petrol, checking the oil in the water, having it serviced annually. But we expect to skimp on sleep, miss meals, grab too many coffees, um, you know, be sedentary and then think, oh, I can manifest the life of my dreams. And it's just not structurally possible just like a car wouldn't you know perform at its best if it didn't have those foundational factors in so i want to kind of slightly come back to that in a moment but move on to neuroplasticity and really just your thoughts on can we really change our brain and also how we can help ourselves change our brain so neuroplasticity is my favorite and the most exciting thing that's happened in neuroscience in the last 20 years and you know, I'm absolutely not one of those people that wants to live forever or like be young again. But neuroplasticity makes me think I wish I'd known this when I was 18 or, you know, even younger. So it's basically the fact that the brain grows and changes throughout life. And we, we used to think that it rapidly grew and changed from zero to 18. And obviously, you know, babies go from being completely helpless to walking, talking, managing their bowels and bladder. And then in teenage, you know, becoming sort of more emotionally and socially sophisticated. And we kind of thought it ended there and you were left with the brain that you have, like when you physically stop growing. Because we've been able to scan brains in the last two decades or so, we've seen that this process actively goes on till we're about 25. And that 25 to 65, you can do things to keep your brain flexible or what in science we call plastic. And there's even a window around your late 30s to early 40s where you can do things that will slow down some of the cognitive decline that can occur from the age of 70 onwards. And so what we need to do from 25 to 65 is keep learning new things. So even just general things like traveling, trying new foods, you know, meeting different people, that all contributes. But to, to actually physically change your brain, 
you need to take on an intense learning like a language or a musical instrument. So in adulthood, those are the two best things that you can do. But there are variations on that. Like in lockdown, we've had a lot of examples of people who didn't really cook before, like learning to cook. Um, you could learn to code. You could start playing tennis. You know, there's just there's lots of things that you can do. So you need to kind of find something that you really want to do and is practical, you know, sort of at the time that you want to do it. So I always say neuroplasticity is not for when you're stretched and you don't have bandwidth. It's for when you've got the time and space to take on an, what's called an attention intense learning. So something that's so intense that it actually changes your brain. So I try to do something every year and um, I'm lucky I was brought up bilingual and I learned French at school and I, I learned another language when I was in my mid twenties. And then sort of in my late thirties, I decided to learn another language and a difficult one. I sort of thought well, I already speak quite a few, so it's got to be a difficult one or it's not gonna you know, make that difference. So I got Danish lessons and they were 90 minute lessons. And after about 60 minutes, I would be so hungry and so tired. I started taking like cans of Coke or bags of Maltesers and I don't usually eat things like that. And so I had about eight lessons. I went to Denmark for a while over the summer. I came back, had a lesson. And then at one point she said, okay, well, we're done for today. And I was like, was that 90 minutes? She said, yeah, you know, we've done an hour and a half. And I realized that I was no longer getting hungry or tired because I had built a pathway in my brain for Danish. I actually then gave it up because it was, actually, it was too difficult and I wasn't really going to use it. But I've done languages, I've done sports. Um, I was going to do piano, but then lockdown happened. So I didn't manage to. What I love is a you say in your book, changing your brain is taxing, and you, you write stick with it when the going gets tough. Because often I think we you know try and do this mindfulness work, this manifesting work, this abundant thinking, and something gets in the way, we fall off the bandwagon, and we're just like, oh, this is not for me. And actually, you just make a real point saying, no, no, this work is tough. Like doing your vision board isn't just some floozy activity on a Saturday. It actually really takes a lot of work and dedication so I'd love to go back Mm -hmm. to uh, your action boards and talk about value tagging why is it important for you to as you um, brilliantly described um, as an exercise for us all to do actually get the prick stick out get you know the collage created of all the things that you want to you know bring into your life in the future Um, how does value tagging work um, in helping us you know then manifest that in the future Yeah, so there are several neurological processes that make an action board actually work. And they are selective filtering, selective attention and value tagging. So we are bombarded with so much information, millions of bits of information on a, you know, second by second basis. Everything you smell, everything you hear, everything you see. Actually, if you read the New York Times, you absorb as much information in one day as somebody would in a lifetime during Shakespearean times. So yeah, our brains are inundated and overwhelmed by the amount of information that it experiences. So there's a natural process of filtering out information that's not relevant or vital to your survival or thriving. So just like you're not aware of the sensation of your clothes on your body all day, that's selective filtering. Next comes selective attention, which is, you know, what's left you look at and that's brought to the front of your mind. What I need to do today at work, what I need to do today for my family, have I called that friend, you know, am I doing enough self-care? That kind of stuff is, is brought to the front of your mind. The value tagging is then putting that in order of importance. And there's two elements to value tagging. There's the logical side, which is that yeah, you know, I need to get meet this deadline today. I need to do this podcast today. I need to meet that person tomorrow. Um, and then there's an emotional element to value tagging, which is very related to your sense of belonging, what's called social safety, your sense of being part of a community, a team, a family, etc. So those are, what are the things I need to do to be loved, to get emotional warmth and physical shelter? You know, this is all relating back to the cave. So you end up with this, prioritized list of what your brain thinks you need to do to have you know a good a good day or a good life if you've created a visual stimulus that you look at repeatedly that immediately puts anything related to those images your brain is primed 
to pay selective attention to them and tag them in, in, in high in importance because you're priming your brain to notice those things. So what an action board actually does is it primes your brain to A, notice, which is a selective attention, and then grasp, which is the value tagging, the opportunity that's put in front of you. And then this kind of like the second point is, okay, so we've, our brain has alerted us to something that we deem as relevant, something that we want to bring into our life. And then it's emotional intensity you write about is really key. And actually then actioning our desires to make them real. And I just thought this point was really interesting about emotional intensity in being a key factor needed to create what we want what do you mean by that so I actually thought I was very pleased with myself when I came up with this I call it magnetic desire so it's you know a strong enough desire that you mag- magnetize those things towards you through selective attention and value tagging and so the reason is it's based on some research that's actually to do with exercise but I'll extrapolate it to what you've just asked so three groups of rats one kept in a confined space one forced to run on a treadmill for a certain number of minutes or hours per day and one group that were allowed to roam around freely and use various forms of exercise equipment for as long as they wanted to. The two groups that did exercise both got the benefits of oxygenation in their blood, um, which goes to your brain, Uh, but the voluntary exercise group released these endorphins and brain growth factor, the forced exercise group didn't. So we know that that happens in exercise. You shouldn't be just dragging yourself to the gym because you feel you need to, you should be finding exercise that you enjoy but the intention and desire element applies to anything. So if like, for example, you know, my, my story about learning Danish, the desire was not strong enough to keep going once I felt like I'd actually re- achieved the neuroplasticity, but with an, another language. So the language that I learned in my mid twenties was because I was married to a South African guy and I wanted to learn Afrikaans so I could speak to his family. That desire to do that was so strong and the motivation was so tangible that I, you know, I learned that language really easily. And so it applies um, the same to the things that you want. It can't be, and this kind of comes back to what we were talking about, curating your, you know, social media feed. It can't be, oh, that's what everyone else is doing. So I should find a boyfriend and get engaged and get pregnant too. It's got to be, this is right for me. This is what I really want. This is the reason that I'm on this planet. This is the life that, you know, I'm here to build. Um, so that's that's the difference, really, that it can't be a sort of a shallow or a societal desire. It's got to be that your amygdala, where your emotions come from, really get fired up by this. That releases all the good hormones that allow you to trust and get excited and take risks. Whereas if it's coming from, I don't want to be the last person that doesn't have a baby. I don't want to be the only person in my friend group that's not married that's releasing cortisol and that's actually dampening down the ability of your brain to manifest. I think a lot of this conversation misses out uh, the points some people have around, well, how do I know what I want? How do I know what I want to put on my vision board or like action board? How do I, you know, there's times and, you know, I've actually just had it recently where ah, you're like this, you're like, ah, I do want it, but it doesn't matter how hard you try, like that, mm-hmm. that motivation, that emotional intensity is not there. Mm-hmm. So you've, you're like, I know I want that, but it's really hard to get that kind of get fired up. How do we kind of troubleshoot that? Yeah, so it's about patience. You know, patience is one of the laws of attraction that I wrote about in the book, because timing is important too. Like you can't, you can't stop what's really meant to be for you, but you can't force it either. So put what you do know that you want on your vision board. I mean, the book starts with saying set an intention. So actually doing some of those exercises where you write out lists of what you want before you create the vision board is important. So giving yourself the time to get that clarity is often the problem because we're rushing around and then we're saying, oh, I don't know what I want to put on my vision board, but we never actually sit down for a few hours to, to think about it. So that sometimes is the issue. What I say about collecting the images for the vision board is that for some of the things, you'll have an idea of what you want. But somehow, sometimes an image that's completely unexpected will just jump out at you and you should really go with your intuition and use that image, even if you think, well, I don't actually want that car or that dog. It could mean something different to you. It could mean something about high performance. It could mean something about warmth or loyalty. So 
I always say, choose the images you want, pick out the images that jumped out at you, but you're not quite sure why you wanted them. Place them all on the board. Don't get the print stick out yet and see if it feels right. Move things around. Sometimes the things you thought you wanted, you take off the board because they just don't feel right on the board. And then when you feel that it's right and you've kind of looked at it for at least 24 hours, then glue it on. What would you say is a better way? Uh, because, you know, um, and, and you write in this book, uh, in your book about kind of clarifying what you want. Mm-hmm. Try not to just say, I want to be rich. I want to have a nice car. You know, they, what is a more nuanced way to, you know, I mean, what does being rich really mean? Like, what mm-hmm. you, what is the difference between, I guess, like even lack it, a, a, a lack approach to manifesting, an abundant approach to manifesting? You can actually put the amount of money that you want to earn onto your board. Um, so for some people, that will be a very specific goal. For some people, there could just be, you know, a picture of, a pot of gold or something, you know, that represents just abundance and that no specific number. So I actually have a personal story about lack thinking in that area, which is when I first did a vision board, I did it with another coach who was, you know, more experienced than me. And she said, okay, we're going to put like an amount of money that you want to earn at the end of your first year of coaching. And so I said, okay, well, this is how much I need to live off. And she said, I I didn't say how much you need to live off. I said the number that you want to earn at the end of your first year. And so she said, take that number that you need and double it. And I was like, okay, I I agree with being more abundant, but I'm not going to double it because that's ridiculous. But she persuaded me to do so. And sure enough, the next year I made that double figure. Wow. Yeah. And so for, for several years, I would put a specific number and it literally doubled and doubled and doubled. And then I started making it just more general like you know just an image that represented that but for me it wasn't actually about the money it was about the growth of my business because you know I'd given up being a senior doctor and started right at the bottom of the pile and I got divorced at the same time so I guess I was in lack thinking so she really helped me and it can be helpful to do that with a friend or a coach and then once you get it you know you can do it you can do it really abundantly by yourself but you do need to see a few rewards you need to see some of those things coming true then it's sort of you know, you just get it and you do it. What is whole brain thinking? And what are some small tips we can be doing every single day to ensure that we're whole brain thinking and not in stuck in autopilot? I'm really glad you asked that because neuroplasticity and what's called brain agility are the real basic science foundations of, of the book that then talks about manifestation and vision board. So whole brain thinking is based on that there are six directions of information flow around your brain, top to bottom, bottom to top, left to right, right to left, back to front, front to back. And they correlate to six ways of thinking, which are mastering your emotions, knowing yourself, which is the brain body connection, trusting your gut, which is intuition, making good decisions, which is logic, staying motivated and resilient to reach your goals, and then using creative thinking to make your desires come true so using all of that brain power you know and out of the box and then harnessing that that like we were saying at the beginning harnessing all of that to make your dreams come true because most of us will be very strong in two of those areas okay at two or three of them and one or two of them we're probably we think we're not using at all we're, we're in fact all doing all of them but if you just even write down those six ways of thinking and ask yourself, how much do I use these different ways of thinking? Then you get an immediate snapshot of where your brain strengths are. So what I ask people to do is then bring up the other ways of thinking. Like, you know, if let's say you're really creative and I'm really logical, then, you know, I could say to you, well, Poppy, what do you actually do that is a creative way of thinking that I could try to bring into my thinking? So even if you have one decision to make and you think, okay, what's going on here emotionally? What am I feeling in my body? What's my gut telling me? And you work through all six of them. But more generally, what I'd like people to do is be using all of those ways of thinking in your whole life because you've got access to all of that brain power. Why only use two when you could be using six? And are there any small activities that, for example, can enhance creative thinking or, you know, what do you do every day to, for example, check in with your body? Yeah, so um, things like just like doodling helps with creative thinking. Um, Sleep helps with creative thinking. Sleep really helps with everything. You know, sort of talking to people who are really different to you 
going to look at art, listen to music, read a novel, all of those things improve creativity in the brain. Checking in with your body, my top thing would have to be a body scan. You know, it takes one or two minutes. You sit down, you close your eyes and you kind of turn your eyes inwards. There's a sense called interoception, which is the sense of the physiological state of the inside of your body. So you can do a body scan and think, okay, you know, do I have tense shoulders? Am I sort of, you know, clenching my fists? Do I feel butterflies in my stomach? But it's also really good to like go more inward and just check in with yourself and really get good at doing that. So that when you get some kind of physical thing happening, you are immediately aware of it and you're not like blocked or cut off from physical signs from your body. Amazing. You are a fountain of knowledge and just it's been so wonderful to have you on the show today. And thank you so much for your time. And I will put your book in the show notes. Uh, Where's the best place for people to ask you questions or find you online or social media? Um, The best place is Instagram. I'm really I try to be really engaged with people on there. And that's at Dr. Tara Swart, D.R. Tara Swart. And I will put that in the show notes for everyone to uh, have a follow. Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited about today's chat. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.